Welcome to The Connected Singer with Michael Hill and me, Julie Thompson. We're both singers and vocal coaches who love researching and learning new ways to keep in tip-top shape, vocally and mentally. We know that being a performer is a hugely rewarding, but also demanding career for mind, body and soul. And we want to help you find the balance you need to keep going on your musical journey. Each week, we'll be speaking to performers, teachers and expert practitioners in a range of fields. From psychology, to sports science, to recce, who will share their knowledge and experiences to provide you with a toolkit of ways to keep well, beat performance anxiety, avoid burnout and get the most enjoyment out of the pursuit we all love, singing. Welcome, everybody, to this week's podcast on The Connected Singer. Um, we had a great time chatting to Charlie Barnes this week. Such a great guy, wasn't he, Michael? So much fun to chat to and what a great insight to his life and his work on the road as well as being a singer-songwriter. Yeah, he was brilliant. I think for anyone who is looking for some the inside scoop, you know, on what it's like to be with a big touring band as well as writing your own projects and uh, balancing all these different roles you know he wears so many hats and he wears them well and uh, yeah. you know he's just lovely and I think we could probably have talked to him for hours and hours we already did talk for about two or three hours I think <laughs> but uh, well that's it yeah, he was he was great so easy to talk to and and really open as well you know talking about his own insecurities which we all share about you know the voice this annoying invisible instrument that we all have that we're trying to kind of get to grips with every day. Absolutely. And just the differences in roles that he has, as you say, he has different hats and how different his role is with Bastille um, being the background vocalist and what that entails actually having to support the main singer uh, having to support Dan, playing in front of thousands of people one night, and then also as an artist and working at home in his studio, recording, writing on his own, then going out um, and playing sort of slightly smaller gigs, but with a, a different hat on. And the different mm -hmm. uh, challenges that he faces when he's in those different roles, that's quite an inspiration for us all, actually, to be able to uh, to deal with those very two very different situations and quite a skill I would say yeah it's it's interesting isn't it, it makes me think of that that documentary I'm not sure if you you saw it the 20 feet from stardom you know the thing about all the backing singers right. um, and you know some of them have delivered these like amazing uh sort of iconic riffs or backing melodies and you know that that become the song and we we never uh, think about about those people and and their their contribution. And it's it's always important to remember that there's such a brilliant you you bring so much to a performance by having you know a backing vocal that that just fits with everything. There's a real skill to it. Absolutely, and. Yeah, he really, um, he was really honest and open and we've decided for you wonderful listeners to to actually split the interview into two parts because we did ramble on for quite a few hours because um, <laughs> it was such a joy to talk to him. He's such a lovely, wonderful, chatty, lively and funny, very humorous guy. So uh, we've decided to yeah 
uh, divide it into two parts. Um, and of course, for you to come back time and time again to re-listen to and pick up on those wonderful um, gems and pearls of wisdom that he's offering to us. Exactly. It's just like the uh, the COVID vaccination. You need two doses. So we thought we'd give you vaccine one of Charlie and then you get the second booster <laughs> the week after. It's a good yeah. way to to inoculate yourself against the, the industry, if that makes sense. <laughs> or to prepare yourself to be ready for the industry with all his advice and, and ideas. But yeah, he, he was great. It's so nice to speak to someone like that who's just happy to to share the, the realities of things like, you know, the good and the bad of, of doing a job that all of us love doing. Absolutely. He was so grounded. I think that was what was really refreshing to talk to a very funny, chatty and a down to earth guy. So without further ado, let's delve into the wonderful interview with Charlie Barnes. Have fun. Yeah. And check out the puns as well. They were good. Oh yes. He had some good puns, <laughs> yes. I think. <laughs> Brilliant. The Connected Singer. Just a last note for contextual reasons. This episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic. Therefore, our circumstances have slightly changed, but Charlie's stories are still just as inspirational, relevant, and will make you smile. <laughs> so stay tuned and enjoy. Today, we are delighted to welcome a guest who is a talented multi-instrumentalist, a singer-songwriter and since 2015, a touring member of the British band Bastille. His passion and infectious enthusiasm for life and music has led him on a very colourful journey, never seems to stop moving, from regularly touring nationally and internationally on a variety of side stages to, on the side, recording and releasing his own albums the latest being Oceanography, which was released in 2018. On top of this, he fitted in a cheeky solo tour in Germany, which having spent a lot of time there myself, I'm also intrigued to hear his experiences there. As you can imagine, this eclectic career path does come with its challenges, not least of all time. And therefore, we're very grateful that he has kindly agreed to chat to us today and share his experiences about these with some possible advice thrown in. So therefore, without further ado, please welcome the ever so lovely Charlie Barnes. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? <laughs> Hello, very well, thank you. Thanks so much for having me along to uh, and taking up some of this uh, strange uh, interim bonkers bit of the world that we are currently experiencing. <laughs> Absolutely. And as I said, we're very lucky to have you uh, because, you know, having looking back at your career, you've had a very fruitful career and therefore time has been very limited. But at the moment, I think, uh, as we were discussing before, time is something we have a little bit more of at the moment. Yes, absolutely. It's, it's funny saying that, that the whole time is limited to, a, to, to a, a, a person who lives their life on tour, particularly as a touring hired musician for a band that is sort of successful enough to have other people set up your gear for you. Because actually in practice, my, my life for the last five years has felt like a, a lot of fruitless sitting around um, and, not, <laughs> and then c coming home and being racked with guilt that I haven't like read as many books as I should have done before. Like, written as, as many new things in that time as, as I should have done. But it's at least from your end, it appears that I, uh, I'm very busy all the time. It just, just doesn't, doesn't always feel like that. <laughs> Actually, you're right. I, th I guess 
I suppose as a touring musician, you are traveling a lot, but you are sitting around a lot as well. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, 90 minutes on stage-ish. Um, maybe d- d- sound checks can, e- can be anything from half three halves of a song to like 40 minutes if there are if there's been like some competition winners or something watching a bit of the sound check um <laughs> so that leaves a hell of a lot of day to fill up um a lot of the time and there's days off in in the midst of all that every few days so there's yeah plenty of plenty of sitting around for a busy touring person it's exhausting it's exhausting it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> will i ever finish war and peace one day you know. <laughs> uh, oh, I, I actually, in my earlier days of touring in my early 20s when i used to uh, tour a lot with a band from manchester called amplifier their uh, their lighting designer dave um at the start of every tour, you know, we'd, we'd all meet up at their, their rehearsal room and he'd, he'd like walk in and be like, all right, bands, how many Dostoyevsky's you got this time? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that there was one moment where he did, he walked into a dressing room and was like, right, what are you doing? Are you reading more bloody Proust? And I was like, I am actually, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Horrifically pretentious in my younger years and still, but, um, but yeah. <laughs> I need content for my songs. I need content for my (laughs) (laughs) that or soft biscuits I'm not sure (laughs) brilliant okay then I think maybe the best place to start although uh, I want to hear more of these stories uh, these untold stories (laughs) just about Dave that's where all the good stuff comes from (laughs) all these impressions that you're giving of the non-hardworking musicians (laughs) it's all true it's all true (laughs) but yeah before we go on I think perhaps it'd be quite nice to have a little bit of background from you to hear about how you were introduced to music in the first place um, what was your inspiration and maybe even a turning point that led you to follow a, a career in music if you like and make that decision and say actually I'm going to take this seriously this is all loads of fun but I want to do this for the rest of my life <laughs> or for the next period of my life <laughs> yeah yeah um well it's I mean it started out uh when I was very young um as I'm sure it does for for lots of people um when I was probably, I think, six or seven years old, we went to stay with some family friends and being uh, very uh, hyperactive, sometimes difficult to entertain um, young child who might have been a bit of a pain in the bum at times. Um, I, uh, I was essentially like sat in front of the telly to appease me and the, and the videos that were available to me, the VHS videos, the good old days, um, <laughs> was a, a huge selection of, of Queen stuff. Um, so the family, friends and question who, who live in the Cotswolds and they were like old uh, neighbours of, of ours before I was born. Um, they are huge classic rock fans. So they're, they're into all, all of that kind of, you know, 60s, 70s, just golden era of, of, of rock music um, <laughs> and particularly Queen. Um, so they they were like, oh, have a watch of this, see if you like it. And, uh, and you know, within a couple of minutes, I was just like, and just spent the whole weekend um just watching all of it as much as I possibly could and just had my little mind just blown by the fact that this stuff existed um and and obviously like a a couple of things came up that sort of sounded familiar like we will rock you and we are the champions because you know stuff like that has just become part of 
just being a human being essentially is that you know what those songs are but um but that, that was kind of where it started and then I uh you know I, I asked for a guitar for my birthday um got a nylon strung Spanish guitar lost interest <laughs> extremely quickly because actually I wanted to be jumping around doing rock moves with big hair um <laughs> but um, a few years later um in my early teens it was the brief period um that rock music was back on top um at the the turn of the century and so uh you know i was, I was watching top of the pops. <laughs> i was watching top of the pops of a friday evening and uh, and there were people like limp biscuit and muse uh and lincoln park on i was like ah oh, guitar maybe i want to do that again um <laughs> So again, the next birthday, got a guitar. This time, got the right sort, the one that you plug in um, and can jump around with. Um, and pretty much just started playing, uh, l- learning all the songs of the bands that I liked. Started kind of, you know, making up bits and pieces of, of my own. Pretty much just didn't put the thing down, but also didn't uh, have any proper lessons or anything like that. So didn't really learn anything about the proper techniques, but um, just got very swiftly obsessed with effects pedals and whatnot um so then that took me through high school played in a bunch of bands um i was a real pain in the ass to be in a band with because i was a mad control freak um (laughs) (laughs) and still am um but, uh, have I have d- idols like Muse, probably uh, their influence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, we've got to be this good. Like, <laughs> we have to practice more. <laughs> um, so, uh, so, yeah, just you know, kind of get carried on doing stuff like that. And I went to a college uh, near to where I live now uh, to study music technology. And sadly, the course that that institution, Burton College, doesn't offer music technology anymore. The department shut down, which I find quite heartbreaking. Oh. Because it was so good, and particularly like the couple of years that I was there, quite a few uh, of, a, of the people I studied with ended up going on to do like some pretty cool stuff in wow. in, in, in the world of music. Like um, one of the years that I played Glastonbury, um, my, my friend Chris from college was doing like five sets with with, with one of his with, with a couple of his different uh, like groups. So like it, 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 he's a rapper. I don't know what the term is for your um, ensemble, um, but you know. <laughs> he's still producing loads of stuff another guy uh who was who was another mate of his he was doing loads of like hip-hop production and like making beats for people and stuff um another friend she played in the band maybe she will for a bit like it was, it was a really good course and it was run by really good people and it's just a bit of a shame that it's not there anymore um where are these people now have they gone to other colleges to teach or is it just I, th- I think some have gone to universities so I, I think a couple of them are now lecturers at Derby University mm. um, and uh, the guy who, who was in charge of it all Pete um, has, has retired now um, but I actually met up with him uh, not so long back which was really really nice uh, it's slightly sad circumstances that, that we got back in touch with each other is because uh, he when I was at college he, he was the guy that introduced me to Scott Walker who is oh, like wow. one of my biggest 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 influences and he, he basically like I got home from college one night he called me up and um, so th- th- this would be when I was like 17 years old and listening to nothing but Radiohead and Ocean Size um, and he, he he called me up at home um, and he was like all right Charlie how's it going now look there's there's a documentary on 
BBC Two at like eleven o'clock or something tonight about this guy called Scott Walker, and I really think you should watch it because he he started out as a crooner in the sixties, and then he started getting into all of this weird stuff later on, and I think you're going to really dig it. Um, and uh, and it was one of those proper like light bulb type <laughs> moments. Um, but obviously, he uh, when he passed away, uh, I, I got in touch with with Pete. Um, just to say, do you fancy fancy meeting up and just you know having a coffee or something and uh, you know reminiscing about you know, college and also you know the wonderful artist that, that you introduced me to? But, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Time. Oh. from there I went to University of Huddersfield. <laughs> <laughs> um, Huddersfield, you mean Le- Leeds Huddersfield? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did a. a Entirely useless degree in popular music, um, and now I have a high-paying job in popular music. No, I mean I, I jest. Um, I do really take the mick out of my my, my degree quite often, but it, it was good. There was some absolute rubbish in it, but I, I'm sure that's the case with every degree, isn't it? When you look, did back, you learn good guitar um, technique? You know, did you finally learn? <laughs> it was no, I've never done that. Um, so. Uh, it was it, it was all like I kind of from f- not so much from an early age I guess when I'm not maybe not the most persistent when I like fail at things um, so I never tried to push myself very far in the world of being virtuosic as a guitar player um, so that sort of led me down laziness led me into a route of being more about experimental techniques and like soundscapes and stuff like that so going to a to an institution where there was a course that was based pretty much fully around like composition pop history weird computer based stuff um and and general pretentious waffle um (laughs) was right up my street um (laughs) Some of the shit I watched at that contemporary music festival. <laughs> I suppose once you've seen that Scott Walker documentary, you're thinking, I don't need to be a guitar virtuoso. I just need a dead animal for percussion. <laughs> and I'm done. It's sorted. <laughs> a big old wooden box to like whack some stuff on. And yeah, I was, like, I, I was pretty keen to go down that route for a long time. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, so that was, that, that was good fun. The, the reason I, I chose Huddersfield other than the, the course was geography, basically. Like all the mm. bands that I worshipped were from Manchester. Um, so I knew there was a really good alternative music scene in Manchester. I already had some friends, such as Dr. Adam Martin, uh, who were studying at Leeds College of Music at the time. Um, And I knew from him that there was a really good uh, music scene going on in Leeds. So I thought, well, I might as well just put myself slap bang in the middle, um, where another friend of mine who who used to be in a band with Adam Martin, um, who I met when I trounced their band at the Battle of the Bands. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Never forget Um, that. Never forget (laughs) that. he it, it, he was already studying at Huddersfield and he, uh, you know, we, we we were in a band together or had been in a band together and uh, and he said, I, I think you'll really like it here. So, um, so that's, that's why I ended up there. So it meant that I could, in my sort of later teenage guise of being a solo artist doing a lot of like live looping stuff with a keyboard and a laptop and doing some horrific beatboxing, um, uh, <laughs> I could very easily hop on the train and go and just do loads and loads of gigs in Leeds, Huddersfield, Manchester, Huddersfield, Leeds, Huddersfield, Manchester. Yeah. Just just do that all the way through um, my my time doing my degree alongside doing my degree. Um, 
think that's a really good to, to highlight that that's really important. That is kind of your your apprenticeship, isn't it, as a musician, is to just get out there and just like gig and gig and yeah. experiment and experiment. And, and I think sometimes, yeah, that can get forgotten when you're yeah. you go down a route of maybe even studying music. You, you know, you forget that actually what's really important is just to go out and, and do it. The most you have the best moments because you learn about your audience, you learn about how they respond or how they don't respond. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> Lots more of the latter. <laughs> and you learn about yourself, man. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. How to build that layer of skin a bit deeper. <laughs> um, and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, and, and yeah, also how to perhaps communicate with the audience as well, even yeah. say when there's only one person there or uh, no one's listening. So yeah. Yeah, 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 I think, and and like it's it's been interesting actually because obviously like my, my career has gone for it, like like it is a career which is a bonkers thing to to think about. It has gone from little to big, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but the aspect of my work that sees me doing all of the like ex, most exciting on paper stuff and the stuff that like my dad can brag to his friends about um, <laughs> is me helping somebody else out with their vision and then actually my own stuff is still basically being completely ignored by everyone so whenever I go and do shows of my own it's still a half empty pub and one of the one of the first I think it was it one I can't remember, I don't know if it was one of the first but like one of the times that I did that during a, like I think it was like a, a weekend in the summer where we didn't have a festival or we didn't have a Bastille festival show or something um and I'd, I'd written a couple of new songs and I just got in touch with my mate Simon from Manchester and was like, you got any gigs on this week or, or next week? Can I just come and support someone for like half an hour just to do And he was like, yeah, sure, come up. And so, you know, I've had, I went and did it and played like back to no one. Um, not no one, obviously that there were, you know, a handful of people there, but we are talking 20 maximum. Um, and just played it and there, there was this like, this was like a few years ago now. This, this was when I was writing some of the stuff for Oceanography, but the, it kind of flipped a bit of a switch in me somewhere and made me realize like actually this is like this th- th- there's something about this that feels really special and it, it made me realize that looking back on all of those times in my earlier like my late teens and early 20s when I was first you know relentlessly gigging around pubs in the north of England and then doing little runs around other places in the UK and Europe and stuff. Those just bizarre times of, you know, hopping from city to city or town to town and and turning up, not really knowing what to expect from, from the venue and what the people are going to be like. And some of it being an absolute nightmare and some of it being some of the, like, like having a really great night. I just, you realize that the huge value in that and the value in it isn't the fact that it's part of a journey to something bigger the value in it is just that it is a beautiful evening with people where you're connecting over some music. And for you, especially it's music that you have created and in, in the, certainly in, in the world of music that I come from, you're basically just bearing your soul out for, for people to, to, <laughs> yeah. to have a look at. But um, yeah. there, are, there are some really wonderful memories there. And I, I think it's important for younger musicians not to, not to look um, despairingly at those times when they play to next to no one, because even if you're having a good time uh, and there's and there's no one there, that has worth to it. And it's and it, and it's not like 
this doesn't exist just because there weren't very many people there. Like, and, and you also always have to remember that even though there are only, say, five or six people there, there's still five or six people who've turned up and it's kind of your duty to, to give them a show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And, and, yeah. And, and sometimes you just don't know how people are experiencing the whole performance or your, your work because you can be on stage, people are sitting there, and maybe you're actually giving it your all and it's not necessarily an intimate gig as far as the, the intimacy of the songs is concerned you're you know you're, you're being flamboyant and doing all your stuff and people are sitting there and watching you thinking oh this ain't going down very well this is <laughs> but you give it your all anyway and then people come up afterwards and that couple or those two people that were sitting in the back being very quiet come up and say that was the most amazing concert I was so enjoying myself and you're like oh wow okay, that's really cool. That's, you know, still touch somebody. And as you say, it's your, your, du- your duty to perform and to, yeah, but maybe bear your soul, whatever type of music you're doing, you know, offer your creativity to, and your voice and your message to whoever's there. Yeah. It's only to take it seriously, um, yeah. like, no, no matter what. And, and yeah, I've, I've definitely had plenty of experiences like that one that you just outlined of, of you know, thinking that it was an awful gig and no one was enjoying it. And then someone saying something to you afterwards that, like, I, I guess just that, that kind of validation that, that, that you're looking for. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it, it, it's not always completely obvious from the stage how well a performance is, is going down. All, all you can do is just focus on, on, on your end of it, really. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I think take it, you know, like you said, taking it with a, uh, that it's your duty, but also not taking it too seriously is, uh, yeah. is really important. I mean, I, I was thinking, I don't know if you've seen it yet, I'm not going to spoil the plot if you haven't, but the new Will Ferrell film about Eurovision. It's, uh, it's, it's on the list. And sure. uh, <laughs> it, the, the thing that's really relatable, because we've all been there, is he's, he's desperate to write these hits, you know, for, for Eurovision, and that's his dream. Um, but he has to play these gigs in downtown Husavik in Iceland. And, uh, you know, he's like, I, the next song is some new material. And the five people in the audience are like, no, just play Ya Ya Ding Dong, which is this, <laughs> you know, dreadful umpapa song that they all love to get drunk to. And uh, it's just, there's been so many experiences that I can remember, probably Julie, you as well, that going to gigs and going, oh dear, there's a feisty audience and they don't like my songs. <laughs> but you do it anyway and it's part of the fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've definitely had some good heckles from uh, older gentlemen in pubs in Yorkshire um, <laughs> who were absolutely not turning up to have the, the soundtrack to their pint of bitter be uh, somebody beatboxing and then playing loads of sad chords through a vocoder. Um, <laughs> I've had some drunk Swedes. Actually, Swedes is not in the the uh, the vegetables. <laughs> now that would be that would be <laughs> some Swedes. They are absolutely mashed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was some drunk Swedes when I was playing in Germany. Actually, come up and want to want to sing with me on stage. Oh, so, no. And I said, I took say stage. It wasn't a huge thing. It was like you know, it was it was kind of it was on the same level. There was no stage. That was the problem. So that was an entertaining experience but yeah sorry charlie uh we interrupted we're now at the stage where you i can't even remember where we were it was, <laughs> <laughs> i don't think it matters no. <laughs> um let's try and get to where we are now but yeah you are doing gigs and stuff around manchester leeds 
Huddersfield right, yeah. doing US. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I was, was doing that all the way through university uh, and then finished, graduated, moved to Leeds because um, of, of, of all of the doing lots of gigging around the place. That was the place I liked the best. Um, and did the kind of usual uh, get a job in, in a cafe and still try and do as many gigs as possible. Um, while I was still studying, um, I ended up falling in with a band from Manchester called Amplifier, who are one of my favourite bands of all time. Um, and I followed them around the country fairly devotedly as a teenager. <laughs> but they, they, they announced like a one-off gig in Manchester during my second year. And they're a band with like massive pedal boards and loads of stuff going on. Um, so basically they, they were on the lookout for a support act where they wouldn't have to move anything. Um, so I was like, hello, I'll do it. Um, so uh, they, they, they had me along and it, it went really well and we had a really good time and got on um, famously. Um, so they ended up kind of taking me to the studio with them to hang out and like shoot videos and play a little bit of piano on, on some stuff. And uh, and then they took me on a tour around, uh, around the UK in the back of a window this van um <laughs> which uh, it, it sort of sounds like i was kidnapped for that definitely wasn't <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh and, and that just led to um several years of really great times um touring the uk and europe um as essentially their, their, their Swiss army knife. Uh, so I would do whatever <laughs> asks of me. So that uh, started out with um, being the support act and then that turned into selling t-shirts and then that turned into making like tour diary videos uh, and then taking photos sometimes. I did monitors for them on one tour um, and eventually um, they released their, I think it was the fourth album um, which it was the fourth album, um, which was full of uh, keyboard parts and extra layers, and you know, the, like just more stuff than, than they could do. They'd already gone from three people to four people um, in the time since I'd started working with them. Because when Ocean Size, uh, the greatest band to ever walk the earth, um, split up, <laughs> their guitar player Steve DeRose joined uh, Amplifier to you know bolster the sound and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but eventually four became five for like one album's worth of touring. So I was at the back playing keys, guitar, doing a little bit of percussion, doing loads of backing vocals. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, that, that was kind of my, my, my job for a while in between, uh, pulling, uh, shifts at a coffee shop, um, and <laughs> being really snobby to customers. Um, <laughs> only if they were rude um, if, 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 they, if, if they were nice I was nice if they were rude I was rude um, <laughs> it seems, seems like a fair deal <laughs> do you not know where I've been last week <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they, that, that did take so much like getting back from, from a three week tour on like a tour bus <laughs> and going to every cool city on the continent you could think of and meeting all of these amazing people who were just so interesting and getting to like the, the, the first tour I did around Europe with them, I got to support at a few of the smaller venues where they couldn't fit a big support band in. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it was just like, it was, it was the best. I loved it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and then getting back, putting on the white shirt and the black tie and going in and being like, Coffee, sir. <laughs> yeah. 
mm, something's wrong here. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that, that keeps you grounded. Keeps you grounded. That's what yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, obviously, there, there's like there's great romance in that kind of world and that sort of you know that double life. And I mean, so many. Uh, so many bands live that double life throughout their careers. Like, I mean, if, if you don't get to the point where you're selling a hell of a lot of tickets and a hell of a lot of t-shirts each time you you tour and put an album out, and if you don't get to the point where you've got quite a lot of territories that you can go around and, you know, kind of uh, sell your wares, um, <laughs> the, the in-between touring times um, might be uh, quite difficult financially. Like, yeah. I mean... Nobody buys records anymore, um, roughly. <laughs> no. um, so you know, there's there's no money in that. Record deals are getting, you know, advances are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, so uh, the, the the chances of being able to dedicate yourself full time to doing your own music is pretty pretty small. So you know, I was I, I was pretty prepared, I think, um, for the fact that there was going to be a kind of trade off um, between following the dreams and keeping the wolf from the door. Um, the key is then is to maybe have a chain of coffee shops. <laughs> <laughs> in every city in Europe. On the side, you know. So. <laughs> the both worlds. <laughs> but, uh, but no, you're right. It, it is a difficult business to work in when you're creating your own music, and especially when you're starting out. Yeah, I guess that that balance thing. When I was, you know, fifteen and in my first um, bands back at home, that like the other teenagers around uh, at the, you know, the, the local youth club watching us play actually liked and stuff like that. I was totally like, okay, cool. I want to be a rock star. That's it. That'll do. That was that was the plan all all along. Um, and you know, and I, I even set myself the deadline that if I hadn't signed a record deal by the time I was 25 I had to give up music um, <laughs> thankfully I signed Hush. one at 25 by the skin of my fucking teeth um, but, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah I, I on reflection as a, as a slightly older person um, I'm so glad that didn't happen and that uh, it didn't come quickly because the idea of, of being an overnight sensation and not having time to like grow up as well people who get famous uh, or have a lot of success with with their own stuff very young are reasonably often not particularly well adjusted um, and also it's like it's, it's as soon as like a lot of people are, are paying attention to you that's a that like if you think the kind of coming back to the coffee shop world is a bit of a psychological minefield um try having like you know, get, get into the front of the queue in Pret and someone going like, oh my God, you're that guy from that band. Um, that's horrific. Um, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's a whole different thing to, to, to navigate. And, um, and yeah, I, I think actually on reflection, uh, I'm, I, I feel really fortunate that I've managed to get away with not doing it the way that I intended as a, as a younger man. I've now actually got a really, really normal life and I've just got my foot in the door of the glitzy, famous world. And so I just get to kind of have a look and be like, oh, that's what it's like. Anyway, I'm back to Litchfield to what the dogs see. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the Connected Singer. Just a quick note to remind you that the links to all projects and people Charlie talks about in this episode are in the info below. I'd say it's definitely worth checking those links out because it might just introduce you to some new music and put some faces to those people that Charlie talks about. 
But now let's carry on to hear how Charlie has dealt with being both a member of Bastille and a solo artist. The Connected Singer. On that subject, how was it to return, you know, to being front and centre vocally after playing with Bastille? You know, not just the going back to, to walking the dogs, but just being, <laughs> being, being the front person again. Um, I, I guess it, it, uh, for, it, was, it, it was a bit of a strange path, I think. It, it, it took a long time for me to work out how I felt about it. So I, I still had my band that, that played and recorded with me at first. Um, who were like, I mean, the, the, the timing was pretty weird because I, I got the Bastille job like a couple of weeks before our like debut but not actually debut but official debut album came out um and we were driving back from a from a festival we'd done in leicester um stopped at a service station and i was like guys i've got something to tell you um and uh and obviously it was a a rough conversation if that, that there was a, a bit of a odd period um mm. where nobody really knew whether we'd be able to carry on doing it or not. And no one really, like, it was it, it was awkward and uncomfortable and, like, quite, you know, that, that, that you know, your, your bandmates are, are, like, family. And that was, you know, there's obviously a bit of, essentially, betrayal had gone on there. Um, but but then you, like, wait, you know, we, we're all good now. <laughs> um, but um, it, was, it was tough for a bit. And so, that, like, the first... The first time we we had a gear, well, so I, I did the first week of rehearsals, and then we had two festivals back to back in Germany with my band, um, and I like my, my my voice was a little bit ragged from uh, five days on the trot of, of of rehearsing with a band who'd realised that I could sing higher than the lead singer, so they were like, "Cool, you're doing all the top <laughs> stuff now." Um, so, um, I. You know, I was I was feeling stressed out by that. I was also feeling the pressure of the fact that these were like some big tastemaker festivals, and we were we were putting this album out that I also then couldn't do anything with, essentially on on a touring front. Um, so that, that like that was that was an, an odd weekend, but the, like the, the gigs were were really great, and we we did have fun. And and then after after that, we did uh, one. Um, one more festival in Manchester in the middle of that summer. Um, and again, it was like, it was, it, it was really great. Um, I don't think we had a rehearsal before it. I think we just turned up and did it. Um, and I just, just kind of hoped that everyone was going to be on sides and, and enjoy it. And I, 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 I think we all, we all had fun. Um, I, th- I think they, were maybe a bit perplexed by the couple of like super duper Bastille fans who who turned up for it, even though I'd only been playing with the band for you know a month or something. Wow. Um, <laughs> but it was it was like a yeah that, that that was an odd one, and then we didn't really do anything for a long time after that, um, and and it essentially just kind of stopped um, and 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 went back to just being me on on my own more or less. Yeah. Um, so it was it, it was a. Getting back to, to to being the front person of the, of the thing, um, it. I guess I guess there was just like a a, a long period, a very long period um, of of trying to work out what it what it was that I wanted to do with it now, and and, and where um, where it was likely to lead, and trying to be realistic about the fact that you know now I have this job that keeps me really busy. I can't 
like commit to the idea of, of being in a band long long term um really um and 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 i'm kind of cool with that um but yeah i, I guess like working as a, a as a backing singer and becoming the backing singer who is relied on quite heavily there was a point um where they they just clocked that i could sing like i i had a, a higher range than the other guys um and that i was quite comfortable staying up there um so uh i'd started to become leaned on quite heavily which i i welcomed with very open arms because i fucking love singing um so, <laughs> and i particularly love belting it out um so they, they you know, away from the front of the stage <laughs> yeah. Yeah. step away yeah, yeah. um I, I, I guess I, I very immediately had to uh like bulk up my, my, my technique. Um, and, 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 you know, I'd start to learn from like not being the person in the driving seat meant that I was, you know, taking the direction of somebody else. And that's not just, um, Dan, the band's frontman, but also taking input from, uh, Coop, the front of house engineer and, and, and Ben, the monitor engineer and, you know, other people who chime in with, have you, have you thought about doing it this way? Maybe you should try doing it this way and stuff like that. And then, you know, a handful of, uh, different vocal coaches, um, who've, who've come through now and then, um, to, to sort of help us out with some things. And, and that's that, like, I've sort of, I think learned a lot about maybe where my strengths lie by, um, rather than, I guess, rather than singing the things that I'm writing for myself, I'm being, being part of the process of working out where best I fit in in a in a wall of 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 other people's voices and and, and where that will come across the strongest so that like the, the, one of the songs uh send them off um from the second album I've had so many different backing vocal parts in that chorus because we've been trying and trying and trying to well at first anyway we would trying to work out what is the best thing for me to do. Um, and, you know, like for, for a while I was doing one particularly um, high full voiced one. And then the, the, the more, the more we were doing it, the more I was like, is it really worth me doing this just because I can, I don't think this is being the sound of it. And also like to get those notes, I have to really go for it. Um, so in terms of balancing across, you know, four or five people singing, that's maybe not going to sound that great. So we, we, we started like tweaking it. And what, one of the things that they, they really liked when I came in was the fact that essentially everyone could drop down a third into their comfortable register. Um, cause before that everyone had been kind of pushing it a bit too much and, and really yeah. sitting on the edge of, of, of where they felt comfortable. So that, um, that I, I sort of learned, learned a lot about, about my, my, my voice that way. And then just the, I guess the, the, practice the the the, the I, I you know living in a flat for, for for a good few years and working in coffee shops and only gigging now and then meant that I actually hadn't been like singing properly um much of the time and when when uh, when Steve DeRose my producer and I uh, recorded the more stately mansions album in the vocal sessions for it we realized quite quickly it's like oh you've never actually sung some of these songs like properly. You've like, you've, you've written it and you've like kind of gone to yourself, but you've never actually sung it, um, which was a, a, a huge error on, on my part. But it's, it's, a, it's, it's been quite nice uh, being a, a very regularly working um, backing singer to actually spend a lot of time 
properly singing. Um, yeah, so I, I feel like I've learned quite a lot um, to doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I think as you say, just the fact that you're using your voice regularly is really important, and that is something that that if you're not touring, it is a danger that a singer songwriters um, experience where you're just focusing maybe on the writing and just you've got melodies in your head and and that's very different from then having to sing the whole song completely through <laughs> and convincingly and also have those special moments or those highlights and that stamina that you've got to have. It's very different, uh, as you say. So I think it's good to hear that because that's very relatable because I think we beat ourselves up quite a bit about this. But it is very difficult if you haven't got that goal or you haven't got that necessity every night to get up on stage to, to keep yourself motivated. The Connected Singer. So we have come to the end of part one, giving you the chance to fill up your cup, pop to the bathroom or change location. But don't forget to return and scroll down to part two as Charlie will be sharing very honestly his encounters with his inner critic along with more Bastille stories. So bye for now and don't be long. Keep